Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 249. It comes down to trust. This week we're discussing season 5, episode 7 of Angel, Lineage, and episode 6 of Class, the metaphysical engine, or what Quill did. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. Alright, starting off with Angel, uh, big Wesley episode here, um, mm. which yeah. um, I liked this one. This was a really mm-hmm. good episode. Um, this is definitely a memorable one. Yeah. Like, yeah. as far as, like, thinking back on, like, season five, what are some of the... Yeah. Yeah. Epi- like, the plots or whatever that I remember, right? Like, the one with his dad is... Like, <laughs> if this were a Friends episode, the one with Wesley's dad, right? Right. Like, right. Uh, oh, it sounds so fun. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not quite the lovely reunion that you're hoping for. Um, yeah, and it's like a good kind of without like completely having Wesley like return to the roots of who he was when we first met him in Buffy season three or whatever that was like it's still clear that a lot of time has passed and a lot of stuff has gone down and he's a very different person than he was then still there's a sense of like are getting towards the end of the Buffy verse, the televised Buffy verse story of the kind of looping around and kind of revisiting his origins a bit of like, all right, where did he come from? Um, I don't know. I guess we'll, I'm sure we'll find time to flesh this out more, but like even just the return of some of his awkwardnesses and everything, um, things that you forget that he used to do that he doesn't really do anymore. Um, it's kind of fun to have a circumstance where that sort of brought back in. Um, but so, all right, I want to start in the beginning, obviously. Um, and this opening scenario of uh, the warehouse and Wesley is sort of negotiating some sort of deal with a distributor of weapons that they're going to sell, you know, so Fred's like pimped out some like lab, you know, weaponry for them. Um, And they're just sort of negotiating a fair price. And, you know, it's all that very shady thing of, well, we don't care if you use this stuff as long as it's not local. So just like, don't, you know, bring it into our neighborhoods and all that sort of thing. Um, And I guess so the they get attacked randomly by these cyborg people who from what we can tell in the beginning of the episode don't really have anything to do with it's not like one side is betraying the other it's this is an independent group separate from the warehouse dealer guys um so I guess kind of my question is does Wesley make any sort of mistakes in this early section? Um, because in the debriefing conversations, which we'll get to, he's sort of blamed for the way this goes down. 
um, of, sure. you know, sort of deliberately putting Fred in danger in particular, but sort of by extension, the, the idea that the deal was a bad one, or this was a dangerous scenario, or he should have been able to see this coming or should have done things differently. There's sort of this implication that this is sort of on Wesley. Um, but I think it's, for me, it's kind of emphasized that he sort of, I don't know, is surprisingly, well, maybe not anymore, but it's surprisingly competent from what we know of Wesley's history. Like, there's the kind of Rambo moment when he sort of jumps out from behind the column and, like, fires both guns at the same time. Um, and, you know, especially in this episode, which is so much about Wesley's origins, it's sort of hilarious to think that the rogue demon hunter is now this sort of actually quite skilled, like, action hero. Um, sure. You know, and and yet, I don't know, I guess in thinking about it, there's also the the frustrating fact that he takes both guns and while well, and leaves Fred sort of behind the column by herself, kind of saying like, "Oh, you didn't leave me a gun, great, um you know, I think she kind of gets hit by like a ricochet bullet. I don't know that having a gun would have protected her from getting injured, but um. I don't know. I guess my my question is: To what extent should we be seeing like Wesley as responsible for sort of the kind of disaster that this warehouse meeting sort of ends up being? Sure. Um, is he more or less responsible than Angel any of the times that his one-on-one -on -one meetings have gone badly? Right. I don't know. Like, I don't. So, I mean, yes and no, I guess, right? Like, on the one hand, here's the way I look at it. And you can tell me if you think differently or think there might be other ways to look at it. So, Angel has sort of been chastised for being the one to go out you know, by, like, Eve and, like, others at Wolfram and Hart, anyway, as being the one to go out without sort of relying on others to do their jobs. You know, like, mm -hmm. we have a hit squad. They can go, you know, keep security and stuff. Um, so I guess in that sense, like, I feel like that extends to the entire team, where they still are sort of working as, like, we're the only ones who can go out and do anything. Um, Wesley explicitly calls out Emil's bodyguards, but apparently doesn't have any of his own. Mm -hmm. I'm not clear how Angel is there. Like, right, he's Angel just sort of up? hovering, I guess. I don't know, yeah. But, like, Angel's surprised that Fred is there. Right. Which tells me that Angel wasn't supposed to be there and he went there for some other reason mm. based on some separate intel or spidey sense or something. Because um, if, if Wesley had invited Angel, almost certainly 
Well, and also, like, Angel was clearly not watching the entire transaction, because, like, otherwise he wouldn't have been surprised by Frick, because mm -hmm. he would have already seen her. So he's, like, a last-minute, you know, person showing up after the, you know, trade has already gone downhill. Yeah. Um, so I can understand why he thinks of it as a, you know, sort of crap show but like on the other hand like who like nobody expects the cyborg you know invasion right like like why would that be a thing that you're expecting to happen on the other hand should wesley have brought more backup yeah probably like wolferman hart has it at this point so like do you blame the person who got attacked like no, but on the other hand, if you're going to meet with a weapons dealer, maybe have a little more backup. I, you know, I can see it both ways, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, it makes me wonder if Angel is there, like, not spying, but kind of checking up on the situation. Like, if he's sort of yeah, tagging like, along at the end, you know, is he, like, I d didn't really this didn't really occur to me when watching it definitely occurred to me to wonder like why is angel there and was he part of this and how did he get there and all that sort of thing but i wonder yeah. if he's given the what eve says about the general distrust between the two of them um maybe angel is observing quietly you know, like, yeah, it's it's interesting that we just don't get any explanation right. either between his conversation with, you know, between the conversation with Angel and Wesley or just like separately with like, I don't know, Eve or someone like, why were you even there in the first place? Like, there's no right. Like, there's no follow up yeah. explanation or addressing of the fact that Angel is there. Mm -hmm. Um and like why he might be there and why he's there at the time that stuff starts going down, but not there to see Fred earlier. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of a weird situation. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't like objectively, I have a hard time blaming Wesley for, you know, cyborg showing up out of the blue. Mm -hmm. Like why would that ever happen? On the other hand, we're five seasons in. It's not the first time strange creatures showed up out of the blue to ruin things. Like, right. You have the resources, maybe plan mm -hmm. a little better and bring, no offense to Fred, but bring the right type of backup. I do think that so there are poor decisions like Wesley keeping both guns, right? Like to do the two handed action hero mm -hmm. side dive, you know, barrel blasting, yeah, jump thing. Um, when he could have, like, oh, here, Fred, in case things go down, here, I have a spare, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, or like, I mean, Fred's smart, she could have brought her own gun. I mean, other than the one that she was showing to sell to the guy like 
mm-hmm. there's you know is is what like is wesley responsible for fred having a gun like she knows where they're going like should she not have thought of that on her own as well like is right. all the blame on wesley for that i don't know um on the other hand there's there's a certain amount of like i mean she calls out his sort of condescension i know we're getting a little bit into the next bit yeah i mean that. and we can yeah talk about their sort of arguments afterwards because yeah what what happened in the warehouse is fairly straightforward but um what happens in the warehouse did not stay in the warehouse no um yeah so like she calls him out and and rightfully so for some condescension there of i should have protected you better i mean yes if you're going to take both the guns then you have like you should be protecting people better but also like you could have given me a gun and help you know let me help protect you and myself at the same time um So there's some validity there, but Angel, like, I think what gets lost is that Angel's exhibiting the same sort of thing of like, Mm -hmm. well, she shouldn't have been there at all because it's too dangerous. And it's like, well, again, you know, Fred was in Pylea for how many years on her own, like, Mm -hmm. you know, surviving and doing what she needed to do. So it's not like, yeah. It's not like she's completely incapable. And like we've seen the little contraptions that she builds and, you know, can kill things and whatever. So, um, yeah. On the same token, she didn't think to bring a gun of her own. So, like, again, like, I think there's, I think there's, mis- I, I guess going back to the original question, I do think there are mistakes made. Mistakes were made, but, I, but they're not all. But I think, yeah, I think, I think it's sort of evenly spread around. And, you know, like, I don't, I mean, Angel didn't bring back up either. <laughs> like, well, so like, and I mean, the other thing that gets lost is, you know, assuming Angel wasn't part of this team, the fact that he, you know, it, it gets glossed over because he sort of swoops in and rescues them and sort of, you know, pulls them out of the fire at the last minute. But like, regardless of the fact that he saved the day, he's also the one going off book and doing unpredictable things without telling people ahead of time, which is his sort of one criticism of, you know, you're, uh, you know, you're reckless and or whatever. I forget what, what words well, he uses, and, but. Um, and going back to the idea of, of trust that, you know, which is. Right, you right. You just go off on your like, own and do something and without telling anybody. Um, well, which but like, is but what like he's trailing his own team. Right, right. Presumably. Like, I mean, that, like, that's the only, that's the only explanation that really makes sense mm-hmm. is that he's there to keep an eye on West. He's following them up. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. That has to be the implication. I can't think of any other reason why he would be there and not be one of the team doing the deal. So. Right. Yeah. I mean, but then ironically, in not trusting Wesley, he ends up doing the things that he's accusing him of, you know, which is being secretive and going off on his own secretly and not telling anybody the things that he's doing. And, you know, again, for good motive, they all have good motives. Um, Sure. But yeah. And I think he gets away with it because. The result is good. Um, you know, he ends up saving the team, so he gets to say, I told you so, whereas 
sometimes when Wesley does the what he thinks, you know, as they say, like what what he thinks is right, um, and there's a bad result, which often with Wesley, Angel has better luck than Wesley. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's not that he's his motivations are that much more pure. It's more that things tend to work out a bit more. Um, Wesley often, you know, ends up with the short end of the stick, and then everybody's conclusion is that he betrayed them, that he shouldn't have ever done the thing in the first place. Yeah. Well, right. Um, yeah, there's, there's just a lot of mistrust there. And yeah, I, I, I guess I don't really have anything about I mean, I guess the only other angle is the fact that there's you know, explicit conversation about this with Eve. Um, mm -hmm. uh, which I wasn't expecting, you know, I, I, I expect like the arguments between the characters dancing around what their issues are. But um, I think it's been so long since Wesley's sort of betrayal has been addressed openly. You know, like, well, for a long time, they're just, they didn't talk. You know, it was like he was ostracized and there just wasn't communication. And then since he's been sort of tentatively back in the group, there's just been a kind of avoidance of the subject. Like, we all, it's just this elephant that we know it's there, but it's not, we're not going to talk about it. Um, well, and then, and then in this season, it's, been oh, forgotten yeah. Yeah. seemingly you know um right so it's like this escalation of avoidance um so i kind of wasn't um expecting to get to this episode and have eve and angel sort of sit down and explicitly have mm -hmm. like an open conversation about angel's lack of trust in wesley um yeah and i mean also because we still don't really know Eve that well so we don't know what she what she knows yeah yeah um and regardless of who or what she is and her motives I think we know Angel enough to feel like what she says is truthful you know like her assessment of his feelings seems to be pretty accurate um and I think what's also surprising again because nobody has talked about it for so long is Angel's at least intention of forgiveness, even if he hasn't really fully, he may not fully believe in it yet. Like he may not really have forgiven deep down, but he wants to, you know? And mm -hmm. I think that's a shift of saying he gets defensive of Wesley, you know, that he didn't mean for it to happen. He thought he was doing the right thing. Like even just the, clarity to say it went horribly wrong and I didn't like what happened but I understand where he was coming from um is is like a new layer of insight for Angel does Wesley still have a scar on his neck I, I was thinking yeah. about that like I wonder what he thinks happened there nicked himself 
Yeah. Like a really, really bad Nick. Um, yeah. I never, I just, like, this is the first time I've ever thought of that, of like, one, I can't remember if he actually does have a scar, and if so, like, what does he think happened? Right. There. Or yeah. is it more like, you know, rather than, like, a hole in your memory, is it that thing of there's something shifting your, like, maybe you're, you're prompted just not to think about those things, you know? So like it's perception filter. The perception filter thing of like, it's not that you can't remember how you got the scar. It's that you, you don't even notice the scar. Um, that would be my guess as to like, if there's, I mean, there's clearly some magical influence here. That's just kind of, because so much of what they've done is wrapped up in Connor. I would think it would be too difficult for them all to just suddenly have random huge gaps in their memory. Um, I think it's, it's probably more of a thing of they're prompted to just gloss over that year or whatever, you know, or like they have the big picture, but, but the details aren't yeah. in focus. Well, that, and that brings up an interesting thing. So it's like, like maybe it's that thing of like, you know that like like Wesley knows that he disappointed Angel deeply somehow, but doesn't like remember the detail. Mm -hmm. This kind of like well, and and maybe appropriate for this particular episode because it's like with his father. It's like I know there are things like everything I did like disappointed you, even if I can't like point to like a specific right memory or instance or something. It's just like all this all this stuff that I've done has been right. It's just a general overarching sense of disappointment that's possible we'll have to see if that bears out because mm -hmm. um, yeah i like i agree like there's a, there's like a year-long period of time that's pretty much connor 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 mm -hmm. like how how much can you uh yeah how much can you like really Uh, yeah, I don't even know what I'm trying to say here. Like, you, you know, how much can you, like, remove of that year without, like, really affecting? Right, without them all just saying, like, anybody else notice, like, these huge glaring omissions in the last, like, year and a half of your memory? Um, yeah, yeah, I think it's probably a thing of, if he has the scar, he just doesn't think about how he got it. Um, but I don't know. I mean, we'll, maybe we'll learn more about how the spell works and everything. But yeah. Um, but yeah, just kind of wanted to know Angel's sort of forgiving new attitude, um, which I don't think is overnight. I think that's been a process. It's just that he's not one to talk about it so much. And so the fact is maybe he's, been building up to being able to forgive but that doesn't mean yeah. that he and wesley have really been discussing the matter well and i think eve sort of questions to what extent that is true though well and for sure like i think he has the intention to be understanding but does that translate into actual you know believable trust um, is it intention or is it 
you know, or desire or, well, not even, no. Is it intention or is it that he knows it's futile? Like, cause Wesley doesn't remember any of that. So, So it's like, it's like that thing of, um, so like actually earlier before we were talking about, um, our pets before we started the podcast. Right. And I was saying how, you know, with my dog, like she knows when she's in trouble. Like she ran away tonight while I was letting her out um, right before we started recording and she ran away. And, and when I finally got her to come back, she, she knew she was in trouble and she knows she's in trouble. Mm-hmm. But like two minutes later, she's going to forget that. And if I took her back outside and she saw my neighbor and was able to get away from me again, she'd be right there running back, you know, across the yard and into the neighbor's yard and stuff. So like, you, it's hard to, I mean, you can punish her, I guess, but like when you're, when you're training a dog, you can't really like rely on that too much because they have such poor memories. Is that like, is that a similar instance here where like, I mean, not that Wesley's a dog, but like, is Angel, is it more like it's futile to sort of like dress Wesley down for specifically for you know kidnapping connor and stuff because he doesn't remember any of that to him it never happened so like like there's no sense of like connecting the action with the punishment right mm-hmm. so instead i mean the, you know and it's it's classic you know redirection right like instead angel's like using these other things as sort of a proxy for the real feelings that he Mm-hmm. has which is he wants to be angry at wesley for the connor stuff but he can't so he's like extra angry when mm-hmm. something that isn't maybe really completely his fault you know goes wrong mm-hmm. yeah i think i think that makes sense there's a lot of truth to that i do think that over a longer period of time, even before the memory spell, there was a bit of a warming of the Angel Wesley relationship that kind of indicates a little change of attitude, like, you know, just his willingness to work with him again or even look at him, you know, uh, seemed like it was sort of evolving over time. Um, So I don't think it's just that he sort of realizes it's kind of pointless after the memory spell. I think something was changing before then. But like I see what you're saying too about how um or or at least that's what Eve seems to be saying. I'm not necessarily I'm not necessarily saying you're wrong that Angel might have that desire. I'm just sort of saying like yeah, maybe it's a subconscious thing. Mm-hmm. Like maybe I mean Yes, he's very broody and doesn't always like talk about things, right? Yeah, so like yeah. maybe it's more latent than um Well, and I don't think there's a know, con- I, I guess my main point is I don't see a contradiction between Angel making an effort to be understanding and forgiving and also not trusting Wesley. Like I think sure. those can simultaneously be true things. Um, And he can say like, oh, he thought he was doing the right thing. He didn't mean for it to happen. But like, is his actual, you know, what is Angel demonstrating? And it's that he doesn't trust. Um, 
you know, like he, he, he might profess that he did it for understandable reasons, but here he is checking up on him and kind of following up to make sure that he's sort of not doing anything sneaky. So, yeah, I don't know. I think that's kind of what Eve is pointing out is like, there's a contradiction maybe between the way you want to think that you think about Wesley and the way that you seem to actually think about Wesley. Um, you know, and Eve even suggests maybe Wesley, because it all worked out again, because like, just like Angel doesn't get blamed for going off book because he ends up saving them. So he kind of gets the credit for things working out. I guess Eve sort of suggests that since Connor ended up okay and happy with another family perhaps wesley was sort of right all along um which i don't know that angel fully wants to go that far but <laughs> well and and the way she says that i mean i i take that as sort of a dig too right mm -hmm. she goes you know i guess it all worked out connor's okay you're happy maybe wesley knew what he was doing after all like I don't think that's an accurate assessment of what actually went down yeah. and like, or their actual state. I mean, Connor is okay. Angel's not happy by right. any means. And I mean, literally he can't be or else he would be Angelus. But like also Wesley, like, I don't, I don't think the lesson from season four is that Wesley knew what he was doing right, all right. along. Um, just throwing that out there sure, sure. Um, or season uh season three and four really right right um yeah i don't think we come out of that thinking that like eve's little sort of pat synopsis there is right quite on is on the accurate the one. i but i think i think that's because she's intentionally sort of egging him on there not because she just doesn't know what's what mm -hmm. and i guess that that leads me to ask what do you think of her sincerity or its opposite in this scene like do you think she's being sincere do you think she's not do you think do you think she's got something else on her mind and if so what might that be any thoughts um, there hmm. i mean Sincerity in regards to what you, you mean, angels sort of her assessment well, of angels' feelings, even, or uh, sincerity might be the wrong term. Like, as far as like, what's her sort of what's her motivation in stepping in here and telling Angel he is going too far in chastising Wesley? Because mm -hmm. like she could have just let that go mm -hmm. and not said anything. So like, there's. And she seems to be, or I mean, maybe you can disagree with this too if you want. Um, she seems to be someone who's calculating and mm -hmm. typically doesn't interfere. Unless, like, I feel like we've gotten moments explicitly where she didn't interfere. Like, even just based on a look or, uh, you know, a word or two where she's like expressly not interfering, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. And so, like, for the the fact that she sort of steps in here and is like 
okay, Angel, you're being a little too harsh. Like that seems to me to be hmm. significant. And I, I'm just curious if you have a thought as to why she might be doing that. Like, like, so is, is she sincere? Like, I guess by sincere, I mean, is she sincerely looking out for like Wesley's welfare? Is she sincerely looking out for Angel's welfare? Is she just sort of pointing out the facts as she sees them and like whatever, or is there, is there something, is there some reason for why she thinks Wesley and Angel should have a better relationship Mm. that would be beneficial to Wolfram and Hart Mm. in some way? That is a really good question. I don't know that I have a single interpretation. I hadn't really put that much thought into it until you just asked me. Um, and I, and that if that's your answer, like we can move on. You can just be like, I don't know if if you don't have a thought about it. I was just curious. Um. Yeah, I'm trying to. I'm trying to compare contrast to like previous similar scenes where she has sort of elected to step in or not. Um. I mean, I do, I definitely agree that she's always, I guess, calculating is, is the right word that, you know, there always seems to be some sort of ulterior agenda, um, on behalf of the firm is, you know, most likely is what it seems. Um, so, I mean, the only thing that leaps to mind is the conversation at the end where Wesley sort of suggests that he might be seen as a weak link by what somebody, whoever is sort of behind the cyborg. Um, you know, and Wesley or uh, Angel contradicts him, but I don't know. I guess if you could see the Wesley Angel sort of relationship as very fraught and very fickle, like, you know, that it could be sort of changed at any moment, um, then perhaps encouraging Angel to trust him more could be in your interest if you're, in, if you're sort of interested in manipulating Wesley. Um, so does that suggest, I mean, they don't really know at the end who was behind the cyborgs, right? That's sort of left right. pretty open-ended. Um, I don't think it's definitely Wolfram and Hart, but I think Wolfram and Hart is one, you know, one possibility that you have to sort of, just because they are still very inscrutable and we don't know what their motives are. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess I could see a scenario where Eve's purpose here is to nudge Angel into being more trusting of Wesley than he normally would just at the moment that his father turns up and we need to have our guards down to allow this guy into, you know, our inner circles and everything. Mm-hmm. Um
I don't know. Or secretly, even on the side of good. And maybe she has a good message, which is you're stronger together and time to let go of these old sort of grudges and all's well that ends well. So kind of get over it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, we were going to save it for the end, but we, why don't we just talk about the even spike scene really quick? Um, just cause I feel like it's, this is a relevant place to bring that up. And I don't know that there's a ton to say because Spike doesn't come to any conclusions, but he definitely brings up this topic of Eve's motivation and, mm. you know, her trustworthiness uh, and says there's more to her than he's letting on. Mm -hmm. He doesn't know what that is, but, you know, there's something, you know, more than what meets the eye which we knew but then you get used to her and you forget to stop you forget to start thinking about like oh yeah that's right we actually are being very unguarded around her and letting her in on strategy meetings and kind of forgetting that she represents the senior partners and we don't actually know anything about her at all I don't know. And Spike seems to be the only one at the moment who is actively thinking about that. In fairness, Spike doesn't have much else to do. This is true. And he kind of presents it as all about himself, right? Like, like he's noticed her paying attention to him. So it's not that he's paying attention to like people acting oddly in general it's more that like he's noticed her keeping an eye on him and wondering what he's up to and kind of trying to get to the bottom of the mystery of why he's sort of trapped here as this ghost so it's at the same time as he's more aware than everyone else it's also like for self-interested reasons so Um, you had some other thing to mention about, like, a look between them in the lab, which I didn't, oh. I, I confess I didn't really pick up on that, but. Well, not between them so much as, uh, so Spike, <laughs> Spike does a very cat-like thing of, like, knocking the beaker off the shelf, right? And, like, then sort of looking around, like, who, me? Mm -hmm. Like, what, what happened? I didn't do that. <laughs> um, yeah, and, like. There's just an interesting, like, sort of protracted glare that uh, Eve gives him there. I, I mean, I may totally be reading into it, but I, I think because of the later conversation, we're sort of prompted to see that as a sort of calculating look. Like, mm. I don't know that I know what the result of that calculation is. Um, at this point, but like, or even later, because like, I do know what happens yeah. throughout the rest of the season, but like, I'm not even sure I can like, okay. understand like what her actual thoughts are in that moment. 
I just find it interesting given the later conversation of, of Spike's sort of calculation back of the there's more to you, you know, than you're sort of telling us. Um, that I, I just think that that's like another data point, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's all. Just just that there that look happens and that it's it's kind of long and I, I keep wanting to say lingering. It it does linger, but that gives the wrong impression, right? Because I think we use that in a sort of um, romantic or or at least like wistful way. Mm -hmm. It's not that at all. I think calculating is definitely the term of she like just kind of gives him this sort of like stare and like I'm not sure is it like is it a stare of yes he's doing what we expected he would do and is figuring out how to like rematerialize on his own or is it like hmm we didn't expect that and this isn't going as planned and something needs to happen right and I don't think I don't think we have an answer to that um one way or the other but. right and you know it's teased again but neither do we get an answer to the you know who who said the amulet was meant for angel you know right. same question which, we've been asking like which is different than asking the question or answering the question of who is the amulet intended for right she's not saying it was meant for spike right she's simply implying that it might not have been meant for angel right and mm, right I mean, does that mean that could mean buffy that could mean lots of other yeah because like it was only like a hero right was like the only thing right um and spike sort of takes it assuming it was for him and i think in this instance i think we're totally meant to think that spike is thinking of himself because spike always thinks of himself and so but again she doesn't say that it was meant for spike she mm -hmm. just questions whether it was necessarily meant for me So it's that it's that sort of prophecy type thing mm -hmm. of you can read into it what you want, even though the text of what's actually being said doesn't have to interpret it the way that you think it is being interpreted. Right. Right. Deliberately left vague and you know open to multiple and easily adapted to your to the reader's situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for sure. Okay, so let's get into Roger Wyndham Price, um, who we have not met before, correct? Um, I feel no. like I, we've um, heard about Wesley's father, yes. but it feels like one of those characters we should have met by now, but I don't believe we actually have. We have not. And so we have seen Wesley talking on the phone to him before. But mm -hmm. that's it. it. Like similar to the ending here, where it's like, "Oh, hi, Dad," and then it's like quickly turns into like Wesley's disappointed because his father's berating him over the phone, kind of thing. Right. Right. It's that tone of voice shift of like, "Hi, Dad." Oh, oh like yes. Well, see, let me explain. You know, like the everything sort of immediately becomes on the defensive. Um, I mean, given that, I think, I mean, we have to take everything a little bit with a grain of salt here, given that this actually isn't Roger. So 
maybe everything we find out here is you know suspect to begin with but um i don't know given the kind of severity of his reputation and everything um he's more i don't know he's less blatant in his sort of abuse than i would have expected um which isn't that's not to say that he's you know a nice guy necessarily um or that wesley sure. shouldn't you know it, wesley's wrong to sort of feel the way he does like he's definitely critical and you know severe and all those sorts of things but um i don't know it's a little more it's a little quieter than i would have expected um mm. a little more subtle or something i don't know um like even the fact there's the the one scene where he um and again it's not really him but you know he tells fred sort of stories about wesley as a child and everything like there's almost the sense of like does a little part of him want to be proud of his son you know is there some wish or longing there for i don't know some sort of pride but he just can't bring himself to overlook what he sees as the flaws um you know it's more like anger that wesley keeps sort of not living up to his high expectations which kind of suggests that maybe he has high expectations mm -hmm. um you know rather than completely having written him off entirely and saying like all right you're completely worthless um yeah and i mean again i keep coming back to like how much do we even take this as representative of the actual Roger Wyndham Price? Um, I guess what we do know is that Wesley buys it hook, line, and sinker, which kind of yeah. is our biggest indicator that there must be something truthful about, you know, this is a convincing portrayal. Mm -hmm. um, there are right, like, like no red flags through the entire thing that well, maybe he's acting a little out of character here. Yeah. Like there definitely was some kind of surveillance, long, long time surveillance of the Wyndham Price household. <laughs> yeah. In order to achieve this. <clears throat> yeah. Um, I don't know whether we'll find this out or not maybe we will um learn more about who was behind the cyborgs but um is there any suggestion it's not warren i'll tell you that <laughs> thank god um is there any suggestion that even though it's not roger himself that this could still be the watchers council sort of operating remotely you know mm -hmm. and maybe that's why they know so much about roger and wesley and what they're like in their relationship and sort of how to accurately portray that um 
you know, because what Roger tells us about the watchers trying to reform the council, that may or may not be true, but I don't see why it couldn't be true. And, you know, it just sort of occurred to me that just because this isn't Roger himself doesn't mean that there's not that there's not some truth in the story that he sort of told as his sort of motivation. I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, so the fact that Wesley calls his dad, presumably his real dad, unless it's another robot, we don't necessarily know that it's, robots all the way down, right? Like there's, uh, you know, certainly, certainly the one robot passes the Turing test enough that mm -hmm. Wesley is fooled. Is it possible that, you know, at living in Wesley's house, there's a robot of his parents there you know i don't know um but assuming that it actually is his parent mm -hmm. um it confirms that there are watchers other than giles who survived mm -hmm. the watchers council attack and the attacks by all the bringers we don't know how many watchers there actually are because that's actually a lot of watchers when you think about it mm -hmm. not only the all the watchers killed by the bringers, you know, who were hunting down the potentials, but all of the ones like in the room when the council house blew up. Yeah. Um, we also don't know how they were funding all of that, but I suppose that's a different issue. Um, anyway, all of that to say, we know that at least one watcher survived. Well, I mean, well, three. Mm -hmm. I guess Wesley technically isn't a watcher anymore. Giles technically isn't. Yeah, a neither's Giles. But like, I mean, without a watcher's council, none of them are right. Yeah, so like, yeah. as far as ex-watchers go, like we don't know how many others may have survived. So like, I feel like it's certainly plausible. Um. Also, I'm not clear on whether or not Wesley knew his dad was alive mm. before this. He asks about. He asks. Uh, robot robert right is, about is his, his mom. mom okay yeah so but so presumably he's not had any contact with them in a while mm. and like i wonder if wesley ever bothered to try to find out if his dad was still alive mm. or not given his contentious relationship like hearing that all these watchers had died is he like well it's not ideal but okay you know, like, is there, I mean, I, I would like to think Wesley, even like for his, he still seems to care about his parents, given the fact that he like calls them at the end there. And like, yeah. even despite the sort of reception that he gets, like, he still seems to care for them. So I, I would think that had his father died, he would have felt something bad about it. So like, I don't, I don't know, but yeah. I, I, I literally have zero idea if he had a clue about whether or not his father was alive before this episode. I feel like if he thought he was dead or even wondered if that was a possibility, if that would have triggered some of the skepticism, you know, of like, wait a minute, is this like, that might've opened the door to wondering if this is really him. Like the fact that he, he yeah, he's surprised to see him, but it doesn't seem to occur to him that maybe 
it's not him at all, which I feel like if he thought he might have died, that might have been a thought. So to me, that suggests that he knew that they survived. Um, sure. And the unexpectedness is more him being here out of the blue and just wondering, does that mean something happened to his mother? Mm -hmm. um, that would just be my... Because I feel like if he thought there's a chance that he died, maybe he would have got a little suspicious. Um, I don't know. And maybe not. Like he says, when he's around, when his father's around, it's hard to think straight. So maybe it's just like, you know those people who just intimidate you for whatever reason. And when they're sort of nearby, you know, your ability to sort of think at a higher level just sort of goes out the window. Yeah. So we could just kind of put it all down to that, but but yeah, I don't know. I potentially some of what we learn here about the council could be true, even though Roger himself is, you know, a lie. Um Anything else about the Wesley and his dad sort of interaction? Um, or, you know, or just the general sort of interactions with the gang? Like he meets all of the, he meets all Wesley's friends and, uh, you know. Yeah, um... Fred, of course, is the nice girl next door. I think she makes the best impression. Um Sure. You know, Lauren is a bit much. Sure. Yeah, and Gunn just kind of like is there, shakes his hand, and then we right, don't see right. him again, right? Like, right. Um, who I feel like of the group probably would have been the most impressive. Sure. To Roger. So. All right. So there's you know another cyborg attack on Wolfram and Hart. Um, and Roger, of course, who was berating Wesley about not taking care of the books properly, um, you know, right. double crosses him on the way into the vault, guilts him into hiding the books in the vault, you know, um, and then he's not there for the books. He's there for this sort of staff thing that, um, it's a little while before we find out what it does, but it, it can suck. At first I thought it was taking Angel's soul. I was a little worried. Um, but it, it sucks your free will away, I guess. Um, so <clears throat> whether this is Wolfram and Hart or the Watcher's Council or whoever's behind this, they want Angel as a slave. Um, potentially to just keep him safe like they said like most like this could just be some quote good guy who wants angel kept under control because he's potentially dangerous um or it could be that they want him as a slave like to do their bidding um, right. to use him for something and that's never entirely clear what the 
exact plan is here. Um, and that, right, so are these, quote, good guys or, quote, bad guys? And if we don't know. If they're bad guys, they're different bad guys than Wolfram at heart, mm -hmm. right? Is it maybe competitors? Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. Are there other evil law firms out there? I, you know, maybe. Um, are, are there any good law firms out there? I guess is maybe the question. Right. No, no just kidding. Um, um, or, or another rival faction within Wolfram and Hart, which we've sort of discussed as a possibility, sure. like one of these splinter groups who doesn't like what the boss is doing and wants to change the direction of the company. Um, or, or possibly like, maybe not within Wolfram and Hart, but like, you know, alumni of Wolfram and Hart, you know, former employees, mm -hmm. which there weren't too many of until Angel and team got there, right? Because typically the way you got terminated was to, well, be terminated. Mm -hmm. um, so like now maybe there's like a critical mass of like these former evil lawyers and their workers who have like capabilities that are maybe forming another group or maybe they're forming a rival law firm of their own. Like they're, you know, teaming up somehow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We don't know any of that. Um, we're left sort of, and, and I mean, certainly the suggestion at the end is that it could be one of the good guys, right? Like, doesn't, who says something like, does Angel say at the end, like, oh, great. Like maybe even the good guys are out to get us too. Um, so yeah, that's sort of left open-ended. Um, but regardless, Wes is not about to let any of them get away with it. <laughs> um, you know, and it's a nice, it's a nice parallel to how Angel characterized Wes as the guy who does what he thinks is right, regardless of the cost and, you know, anything other than what he believes to be the right thing. Um, there's no, you know, the way Angel puts it is there's no sort of compromising. Um, mm -hmm. He just sees, he identifies what he thinks is the right thing to do, and then he just goes and does it. Um, which, if this is good guys behind this, that would be their argument, right? Is maybe whoever is doing this sincerely believes that Angel is a monster and a threat and needs to be contained or controlled or whatever. And, you know, they're just trying to do the right thing as they see it. So, you know, there's some irony to that, um, that it's sort of Wesley who's the one that's up against, you know, trying to stop them. Um, and he's maybe capable of seeing some of the nuance there until uh, Fred gets involved. And um, yeah, and the second his dad reaches for her, Wesley just opens fire, like to an unnecessary degree. Um, you know, I didn't end up counting the amount of bullets 
but it was definitely that feeling of he's you know put probably more bullets in him than he strictly had to um i don't know there's like i don't know some vindictiveness or something in the kind of shooting of like this isn't just a practical i have to you know rescue fred thing it's like nope all the anger all the bitterness comes out in that sort of hail of bullets is sort of how it felt to me like once he pulls the trigger like that's it he can't really stop until until he's done um and then you know promptly throws up over the side of the building and then finds that oh it wasn't really your dad all along psych um but the psychological damage but the cycle yeah it's too late he knows what he would have done um and fred tries to kind of soft sell it as he didn't even need to flip a coin yeah it's even better um yeah like oh maybe part of you knew it wasn't really him and you know wesley's honest enough to say okay thank you but no um like he believed he believed the whole way through there was no doubt in his mind and he knows exactly what he would have done in that situation mm -hmm. um and yeah um I, w I don't know that it's worse than living with the guilt of killing your father, but now he has an entirely different kind of guilt of living with his still living father, knowing sort of where their relationship might have ended. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't have anything bad. Okay. Um... Yeah, and then we just get little codas with the characters. Um, you know, again, I mean, we talked about some of this. Wesley kind of saying that this was their, the perception was that he's weak. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and Angel, again, shifting his perspective. Um, so, like, if we doubted his sincerity about his understandingness and forgivingness earlier on, do we still, by the end of the episode, you know, when Angel says, you know, he never really understood before how Wesley makes hard decisions. Um, I don't know. What do you, like, does this episode give him a new, is he still just trying to be understanding or does he actually understand at this point, do you think? Like, does he have a new perspective on Wesley's previous decisions? Yeah, so, and this is actually really interesting given um, the episode we're about to talk about of class, because I feel like Angel does almost undergo a similar transformation that Quill goes through mm -hmm. in terms of belief. Like, like maybe you're, you know, acting a certain way, not really because you truly believe that something will happen or something will change, but, you know there's a fair chance and maybe you don't know what else to do anyway. So like, like you just kind of go with the flow, but then somewhere along the way, there's sort of a, a switch that flips mm -hmm. to where it's like, Oh, I actually 
do know or understand or believe the thing that I was sort of giving lip service to before, but now, you know, it's sort of the fake it till you make it kind of idea. Yeah. Um, not that I think there was an intentionality of Angel faking it. Like, I do think the earlier thing, the earlier conversation with Eve, I think he's saying the things that he wants to believe. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that he's like saying them in the hopes that by saying them, he'll believe them per se, but he's sort of saying them maybe because he's expected to think that and maybe really would, maybe really hopes that he can think that someday, but doesn't necessarily believe he ever will. Mm -hmm. And like, I do think that by the end of this episode where, where we get to is, is angels actually understanding a little better. And I feel like that's, I mean, here we are, you know, seven episodes in, right? So we're a third of mm-hmm. the way in, almost, you know, a quarter of the way in anyway, to the, of the season. And we're still, like, dealing with, like, reconciling the team from mm-hmm. the last season. Like, mm-hmm. there's, like, all of the things where we pulled together and had our midnight, you know, picnics and whatnot, like we're still like trying to figure out like how do we bring this team back together fully and i guess the question is can we ever like will they ever get there like, mm-hmm. this isn't i don't mean to be flip about it but this isn't like end of season four of buffy where it's like oh we got pulled apart by college and now if we just meet together and say the magic incantation and we have body, soul, heart, and mind, you know, like we can defeat the demon. Like, like there's a little, it's a little more complex. There's a little more history and baggage here to work through. And I mean, seven episodes of it, apparently at least. Um, Well, and yeah. And the, you know, for all that we can say, Wesley's motives were understandable. His betrayal is also more severe. You know, like there's more to forgive and like potentially he did more like irreparable damage to the team. Right. You know, certainly than maybe happened within Buffy at any point. Well, um, and in general, too, because even though like most of the world doesn't remember Jasmine and stuff like mm-hmm. people still died or disappeared or whatever, like. Like, there's still, like, actual damage that happened in the world because of, you know, the Connor and the Beast and, like, all this other stuff that kind of yeah. happened. Not that the Beast was his fault, per se, but, like... Right, but it's it all, all like, like, these ripples out connected. from... Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, all that to say that, like... Like, I think, I think we do have... I think... I don't want to call Angel insincere earlier because I think there is a sincerity, but I think it's a different sincerity. Mm-hmm. I think the sincerity is that he sincerely hopes to someday believe what he's saying. Right. I think there's a veracity, though, to his later statements mm-hmm. of, wow, I now really understand like the hard decisions that you make and can appreciate that. And I think that's the first time we've had that admission from Angel. Yeah. Even like, be you know, including before Connor, like pre-Connor stuff with Wesley. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I don't think we ever had. I think Wesley's value was only seen as like a researcher and someone who could get you the information that you needed to get, you know, get Angel the information he needed to get the job done, not as someone who actually gets jobs done himself. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Oh, the one thing I for I, did you mention this? And I just am blanking for some reason. Um, with his father coming, just the the slapsticky stuff. Yeah, like, I did. I did want to mention that. I think I put that in our outline um, and then forgot to talk about it. Yes. Yeah. There's the bit where he bumps into the door and like it's very and knocks the folders out of the. Yeah, it's very minor. It's not like he's suddenly giving this hugely comedic performance throughout the whole episode but like there's that moment and then there's the bit with the robot where he trips the you yeah. know wire and everything and yeah like again just a return to that earlier kind of bumbling um i guess more insecure Mm -hmm. Although I don't know. I mean, he's made so many mistakes now. I'm not entirely convinced that he's more secure than he was <laughs> when well, when he came in as this know-it-all, you know, um, pompous watcher in training. And, and, in some ways, I think that was the more secure version of the character. And he's been knocked down a couple pegs well, since then. Sure. The overconfident version, yeah, for sure. Confident yeah. in the wrong ways, you know. At right. least now he knows how much he doesn't know. Um, for the most part, although I do think, because you know, we talked about at the beginning of him not bringing enough or the right type of backup necessarily. That is also true of you know his father. Well, the robot version of his father, mm -hmm. you know him letting his guard down and opening the vault and like not having backup in his office with him because hey it's just my dad like right that sense of like wesley sort of very easily when he's prepared he's really prepared and is actually fairly good but like when something unexpected happens he's he's not the improviser that like angel is well or Buffy. and like it's he is and he isn't because he's very easy to catch off guard, right? But once you do, as we've noted from way back, at least as far as Angel, if not into Buffy, when you push him into the corner, he gets competent again. Like, you know, there is that kind of shady middle ground where when he becomes comfortable and trusting, he is klutzy and he's easy to manipulate um but then okay his father knocks him out and he sort of wakes up and realized he's been played and then he's into the kind of cold torturer guy with the mm -hmm. cyborg to get information um and uses what he learned about how to like defuse the bomb to force information from this minion um, and then is sort of, you know, ruthless killer from there on. So it's like he goes from competent through kind of bumbling and then out the other side into like competent again. Um, 
But yeah, those so. are his kind of only two settings. Like, <laughs> it's like either, like, hyper-competent can do an, almost anything, or it's like, you know, very naive or, um, I don't know, easy to sort of dupe. Mm. But yeah, it's, it, I mean, it was nice to have those little just those little visual reminders of his insecurities, you know, like his dad's in the room and he's immediately like bumping into people and, you know, just a disaster area. Um, I think the only other thing, cause we skipped ahead to Spike and Eve was, um, just the little scene with Fred and Knox. Um, yeah. Because Wesley's been counseled by his robot dad to share his feelings, um, which he kind of starts to do and, and tells Fred, like, her being threatened was really what set him off. Um, and then, of course, right then, Knox walks in. And that's the end of that particular conversation. So his, yeah, his feelings are a bit more out in the open, mm -hmm. uh, more than they ever have been, I guess. Yeah. And still no sign of any third wheel, you know, or third point in the triangle with gun, which is really interesting. Um, like this is still very much a Wesley Fred Knox situation. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe it is just that that's been sort of lost to the Connor year. And it's like it never was. I don't know. But the Connor, the Connor year, the lost year. If only, right? Um, okay perhaps no. all right so yeah no i think that's good and uh yeah should probably move on to class yep um kind of gonna go through this one so i think um like we can probably quickly go through like the assembling of the team, right? Like there's only three characters that we kind of focus on this week. Um, and we kind of already know the motivations for Quill, right? So she's uh, locking the the students in detention, um, which we already know what happened there, uh, and going to get this thing out of her brain. Mm -hmm. um, have we talked about this? I can't remember. Did we bring this up? Is the Arn... Quill's version of a chip? Um, I don't think we've talked about it, but the thought had occurred to me, and maybe I just forgot to put it in notes to talk about. So we should talk about that. Yes, I think it seems to be, especially because it hurts her, right? When yeah, she, well, when sometimes does, when it's... she goes to hit things, it causes her pain. Yeah, right. And it prevents her from doing harm. 
or using weapons or whatever, right? Like, right. so there's right, right. Um, so the rules are slightly different, but it is a very similar. Yeah, um, it's keeping her, you know, ethical, keeping her honest in, yeah. to some degree or other. Um, for the most part, I mean, she gets around it every now and then, but mm -hmm. then again, you know, Spike either like purposely hit people or forgot from time to time and you know would just kind right. of and Suffer then there the was pain. the whole yeah there was the whole you know arc where he was sort of like under the influence of the first or whatever and didn't like uh didn't know or like the chip didn't have any effect on it or whatever mm -hmm. um yeah, I don't know. That was something. But anyway, wh whether whether it is or not, this is uh, her motivation is to get that out of her head so that she's no longer a slave and can use weapons again and um, can sort of fulfill her purpose, her her being as a warrior. Mm -hmm. um, Dorothea, uh, I mean, we've so the new headmistress, we've it met her before um i don't know that we fully know her motivations i mean we know she works no. with governors who are still a bit uh mysterious to us we yeah. get a little more yeah about her but i do feel like one of the things that we get and this is more through sort of her excitement and emotional responses than necessarily even the words that she says um but i feel like one of the things that we get about her is just that like She's very much interested in all of this as a sort of academic mm. and like researcher, mm -hmm. right? Like her her interest in all of this is is less I don't even like I don't even know that there's like a higher purpose to it other than just sort of like trying to better understand the universe kind of thing. Right. It's and not, an and not that that's not a fine right. purpose in and of itself. It's just like, I don't think she personally has, like, a grand design. Right. The governors do, and she works for the governors. But I feel like Dorothea specifically is is working for the governors because it gives her an opportunity to do these things that she wants to do. And it's like, in the meantime, she just kind of has these other duties and tasks that she has to perform as part of her service, but isn't necessarily interested in the grand scheme per se. Right. Is this an excuse to take the metaphysical engine out for a spin? Like, you know. I kind of get the feeling that it is. Yeah. And, I mean, and do you is, have a different take on that? or No, not necessarily. No, and I think, like, I mean, she certainly says um, that she's the only one who's really studied it enough to use it, although it's all it's seemingly all sort of theory based, like none of them have studied by actually like driving the thing. But, um, but yeah, right. that seems to be um, part of her motivation is just to learn how it works and see what she can do with it. And, um, you know, and kind of the, the wonder of finding out that it actually like does work after all. Um, Sure. Yeah. Um, and then Balin. Um, Who I keep, we're, you know, with reading Lamore to Arthur right now. Um, sure. Balin just sort of 
sounds particularly Arthurian. Right. Uh, yeah, we don't know my, like, we don't even know, do we? Well, he killed someone. I guess that's why he's in prison. Right. And we get the story about him, um, having been caught by the governors rather than units. So, like, so this, this group, the governors, are clearly not a governmental agency, despite their name. Um, or at least if they are, then they're like more of a shadow government kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It's not like a sanctioned, like UN, you know, you know, international peacekeeping unit kind of thing. Um, yeah. Uh, and I like the sort of, um, we don't know like where he, like, I mean, presumably the governors have some kind of prison or something, which is where they're, like, teleporting him from. Um, and I like the sort of, you know, uh, Stargate-style teleportation mm. rings uh, mm -hmm. that that they use, sort of a little nod there. Um, yeah, other than that, though, like, like, we don't know a whole lot about him. Other, like, he accidentally killed someone because they were like beating him up but like he he got arrested or taken or whatever enslaved i guess really mm -hmm. by these governors and now this is his chance to like get out if if you know they can go through right if they can you know achieve the task this is sort of a you know, like we had the angel episode of like the quest, the hero's quest kind of thing. Like this is that, right? Like we have, we have our MacGuffins, we have our, you know, mm -hmm. journeys through the different landscapes that we need to make and, you know. Yeah. Uh, well, and that. I guess that's more evidence that the governors are sort of um, outside of the normal parameters of government. You know, it seems like unit is by and large, going to play by the rules of international, you know, I don't know, relations and sort of social so ethics the, and everything. Whatever the equivalent of the Geneva Convention is for exactly. alien life forms. Right. Like, Whereas they're going to follow it. It doesn't seem, it seems like the governors like can just maybe imprison you indefinitely or, and for, there. And for yeah. purposes that may or may not be fully justified, and then how you earn your freedom, if you ever do, seems to be kind of up to them. Like, whatever, like, can we use you for a dangerous mission? Okay, then you can earn your freedom that way. Like, they're not really yeah. abiding by, like, rules of humane that, punishment. Rigged. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Because... In the end, only one of them gets their freedom anyway. So, right, like, right. they're they're also not too, you know, interested in keeping whatever you know plea bargains they right. negotiate. Right. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the other thing too, just from a kind of before we get into the specific places, is like again that video game sense of what you mentioned the MacGuffins that um. Like each place, we have to get something that enables us to achieve right. the quest of the next place. And so there's a sense of like, 
building one on the other. All right, there's a sequence we have to follow in order to crack the code of how do we free Quill from the Arn. Right. Yeah, you go through, you know, Arnland first and get the doohickey from the thingamabob and right. that will open up the door to you know law hell and you know you fight the boss and get the blood mm -hmm. and that'll take you to the quill nest right which you know then has like an even tougher boss and you know whatever yeah um yeah definitely uh Yeah, I feel like there's something else I was going to say about Balan, but I can't remember what it is off the top of my head. Anyway. Um, oh, I mean, I I from a Doctor Who point of view, should point out the references to um, the Zygon episodes, too. That um, he's not a Zygon. He's something very similar that you know people mistake for a Zygon, but he's not actually a protected class. You know, so they reference the fact that there are Zygons living on Earth, you know, posing as human and are sort of under the protection of, well, the doctor, but, you know, negotiated with the humans to sort of get them a protected status. Um, mm -hmm. So just those little nods to some of the recent sort of continuity there. Yeah. Um, so we can talk to Rita the destination. I don't honestly know how much I have to say about all the destinations. Like, it's more the conversation that they have about the different sort of the escalating mm -hmm. or continuing, I guess. I don't even know if escalating is the right word. Like, discussions that they have around like faith and belief and sort of the mm -hmm. implications of the places than the places themselves. I mean, sure, sure. Um, yeah, you know, so I mean, I, I guess that's generally the case um, on Doctor Who and everything. Although, I, like, maybe just very briefly to say, like, some of them look pretty good. Like, you know, Doctor Who doesn't always have the most alien, like, impressive alien planets ever. Um, but, like, even just like making the leaves purple. Like they're clearly just in a forest in Wales somewhere. But like, sure. just the effect of like, you know, the colors yeah, being kind of slanted the wrong way. Yeah, like it just it looks different than, um, and I, I, you know, especially after what, six episodes of set in a school, it's kind of nice to get out and get some alien landscape. but. But yeah, I mean, individually, I think they're, you know, levels of the of the game to get you to the next place. I don't know that individually there's a ton to analyze there. Yeah. Um, right. So Arn Heaven or whatever they call it, right? Like, it's this. Well, and I mean, I guess we get a little bit about the Arn themselves, right? That that there's they're like a bioengineered species, basically, right? Mm -hmm. Like that they're grown, not you know, 
made in any sort of normal biological process um, or like natural, I guess I should say. Um, but apparently like, so it's like a Tinkerbell thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like if enough people believe, then it'll happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, I mean, I don't know if Arn can clap, but like, um, that doesn't seem to matter. So this episode also actually reminded me a bit of, and we should talk about actually the mechanism. What it, What's the device that they use? I forget what they call it. To travel in? Yeah. Uh, the metaphysical engine. The metaphysical engine. Um, so there's a Robert Heinlein novel called uh, The Number of the Beast um, that has a dimension traveling spaceship uh which they use and like go to all of these different you know created universes that are like the um you know extension like like it's the same idea of like the metaphysical although instead of like you know a species sort of like co-creating it through their belief it, they're like worlds created by like individual stories so like they go mm-hmm. to like the wizard of oz you know universe mm-hmm. and they go to like you know these other universes that are like created by different people or beings or whatever mm-hmm. um so it has a feel of that to me too like right. a very similar kind of um thing um and well and then there's like a big party at the end with like all of Heinlein's characters including himself it's kind of it's kind of a bizarre novel actually but um anyway so yeah here it's it's this idea of like that they're not because there's this idea that they're they're simultaneously going to these places but also not going to them Mm. that is that as a metaphysical engine it's truly metaphysical it's not physical mm-hmm. that that maybe they've never left mm. but then quill does end up in the cabinet and climbs out of it so like there is a physical aspect to it too mm-hmm. so it's kind of hard to understand entirely like and maybe and that's okay like wouldn't be the first kind of weird thing in doctor who uh, or you know or the universe sure. um but uh yeah anyway. there's there's some very um uh cat just scratch me. um some very like fine distinction between uh is it be- okay if you believe it it becomes real but like you said not physically real only it's real in in thought it's real in in the beliefs of the people who believe in it so that's whatever that is that thing that's halfway between physical reality like it's not just in somebody's head there is a reality to it it's just not a physical one and the reality is the shared belief between all these people and i guess if the if that's strong enough like it does take on a reality independent to individual people. Like I can deny the existence of something, but that doesn't mean it stops being real just because I individually cease to believe in it. So it's like, 
are in heaven has reality, just maybe, like you said, a metaphysical instead sure. of a purely physical one. And that's the, that in-between place is where the engine can take you, I guess. Well, and it kind of gets to the idea of memes, but like the original idea of memes, not the like internet, mm -hmm. you know, it's just an idea. It's just memes. an idea. I just rewatched uh, the end of the world when they meet the adherents of the repeated meme. Right. And the doctor says, sure. what's a meme? It's just an idea. Yeah. And I wasn't even thinking of that particular thing. I'm just thinking of like the actual like scientific idea of a meme of, of it, of there being a sort of objective existence to an idea outside or, you know, beyond just the sort of mental mm -hmm. processes in which, you know, it exists in individual people's minds that, that, you know, by the very nature of, of a lot of people thinking and believing this, that it, that it sort of has a physical presence or impact. Mm -hmm. And, and I think, I think there's some truth to that. I mean, even, you know, like if enough people believe in God or heaven or, you know, whatever, and, and they act in such a way as those things are real, then is it, is it any different than whether or not it is real? Like is if if enough people believe that heaven is real and they act as if heaven is real, then does its actual existence or non-existence matter, you know, in one sense or another? Um, <laughs> but like I think that's the idea that they're kind of getting at here is that like this idea of an R in heaven exists in enough R in mind, which begs the question of like how many of these critters are there out there? Because like we know of exactly one well knew of exactly one before this episode in Quill's head. Um presumably any other Quill that had an Arn in it all died, right? Like, so there weren't any other, like, like, are the Arn, is the Arn, like, something that's used by other species as well? And I don't know. It just begs okay. that question of, like, how many Arn, like, how many do you need to actually have this metaphysical idea? And I, I mean, I think that's more interesting when we get to Quill's nest, right? Mm -hmm because she's the only one left and so is the well we'll get there when we get there mm -hmm. um anyway so yeah just this idea that there that there's this real impact to imaginary things um regardless of their actual truth or existence or whatever mm -hmm. um yeah and i guess that's the distinction there may be an actual Arn Heaven out there, but that's not where the engine goes. Where the engine goes is the shared sort of believed in ideal place. Right. You know. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so they go, they get the it's the Arn like it's the Arn that Balan kills. Right. That, is what they're there to get. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 
Um, right, just so they, they don't, can like they, study it, right? And like, just like see what it is and sure, have a yeah, sense for of- what, For whatever reason, yeah. I mean, for the MacGuffin-ness of it. Right. Um, so then the next place they go is the law hell. The, what's the full name? I didn't know that that was. Uh, I didn't either. Um, right. So like the, the, this is Malin's species, right? Yeah. Is they call themselves the law. Um, there's a longer name and I can't remember it. Uh, interesting that their God is in hell. Mm-hmm. Um, and later Quill calls it a demon and Valen kind of takes offense to that even though it's like well what do you call a divine being in hell <laughs> yeah. like what, what else would you call it um, but the uh, yeah I mean and, and again like okay they're shapeshifters so their idea of hell is like something that's still all the time mm-hmm. <laughs> and being turned into a statue mm-hmm. um, Okay, that's fine. That makes sense. I don't. I didn't have a ton to say about that too. Oh, oh, we need the blood from the god. Okay, so you know they work together to use the knife. To, you know, Quill can't use weapons, but she can manipulate arms that are holding weapons. Apparently, like right, that's. Right. Um, I mean, and I, that's not the first time we've seen that. So not. Yeah. Right. Find ways to know. get around the rules. Yeah. You know, not like terribly surprising necessarily or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um I don't I don't know that I have a lot to say there. I I mean there's definitely some stuff that Quill and Balan say together and it might even be some of it in here, although I didn't really distinguish between where they said what to each other as far as like Right, like know, what location some of the or whatever. Character stuff. Um Yeah, I don't. Do you have any any thoughts about the actual place? Um, not so much. No, I mean, no. I think, like I said, I think the places are fine. They're atmospheric enough, but I don't know that there's a whole lot more to say about them than that. Um. Yeah, and then so the same with like the nest. Like, yeah, it's it's a nest. The the first quill rises and they kill it and oh but it's you know mythology so it's always going to rise and mm-hmm. you know you can't really kill it and that's fine mm-hmm. um yeah and there's um some i guess interesting juxtapositions of like I don't know that we ever get the sense that the quill are predominantly like a female race, but that's kind of my impression is like, because what we learn are, you know, we only ever see quill and then we see her sister, right? Or we know that she had a sister. Um, And, and then like, and we learn that the, you know, sisters try to kill each other. um, And that's sort of their way of communicating. And then, um, and then here we get, you know, a goddess who is born. And then there's some um, connection between 
birth and death, right? Doesn't she say like the last thing the quill ever do is give birth and they die. So there's like, all we ever hear are these sort of female rituals of Mm -hmm. like birth and war and death, um, which gives it all this kind of like, I don't know. I don't I don't know that that means all the quill are female necessarily, but it seems like a matriarchal kind of culture. And like, but well, as we know, but we as, know they're not right. That's true because we, we hear about um, lover. her lover here. That's true. Um, but anyway, the <clears throat> it seems like the females are like the more dominant sort of personality, um, and. Sorry. You know, and allowed both like equal parts sort of warfaring and also, you know, associated with birth and motherhood and those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but also war. But also war. Yeah, I mean. It seems like those are given equal weight, um, like within their culture, as far as like feminine characteristics are concerned. Yeah, I mean, birth and death and fighting and, you know, all of that. Mm-hmm. But also like respect for the people you're fighting, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, um, Quill, Quill sort of disparaging the Lankin for making her sister, you know, mm-hmm. too too weak, you know, for disparaging her memory by like making her weaker than she was. Right. Um, yep. Um. So yeah, I mean, so the big. I mean, I feel like we get sort of a parallel thing with Quill and Balin all along the way. Like, he's, I mean, obviously, like, a little more directly imprisoned, right? Because we see, like, the handcuffs and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but yeah, like, there's this idea of, like, like, I don't know that he's totally bought in at the beginning you know, in the same way that, like, Quill's not totally bought in mm-hmm. to, you know, what they have to do. Um, right. But they seem to, you know, sort of work together. Um, yeah, let me think here. Because... I, I do think it's interesting that, like, you get... Quill's sort of assumption right off that Balin is another warrior. And he is, mm-hmm. but like, no, he's your surgeon, mm-hmm. right? Like that that idea of like, oh, you just assume that, you know, coming along mm-hmm. on the trip to these unknown places, you would have someone who's, you know, good in a fight and can sort of take care of himself and mm-hmm. all that stuff. And Balin can, and he is, but it's not like you know that's not just what he is right it's right. his uh surgeon aspect because he's a shapeshifter and can sort of 
manipulate his hands to get into places that otherwise he wouldn't be able to. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and that's a nice kind of moment when you realize, like, oh, what what's his purpose here? Or, like, how are they supposed to sort of help or cure each other? Um, like, it's, it's about unfreezing Fallon. Um, but it's also, like, you know, getting the iron out of Quill's head. And they need each other's skills in order to do that. And Balin is like, like you said, he can be a fighter. He's good in a fight, but he's like scrappier than Will, who's more of the professional soldier. Mm. Um, He's a little Um, more, I don't know, less, not less honorable, but less sort of about the sort of, protocol and ceremony and you know duty of it and everything um and then of course with him being a surgeon there's the doctor connection there too Mm -hmm. um yeah which we don't get an explicit reference to this time do we uh no i don't think so Her sort of promise to the doctor, right? No, I don't think we get a explicit reference to that here. Um, um, not not that I think Balin is a stand-in for the doctor at all in this episode, but just that <clears throat> if you're sort of thinking about it along those lines, there is it. It just provides another mm-hmm. maybe hint or or a reminder. Mm-hmm. Right, of the, of, you know, the promise that she made. Yeah. Um, I definitely want to mention, too, that just the general scene of the surgery itself, because I, I think that's a pretty effective um, mm-hmm. bit of gross, I don't know, disgusting. <laughs> yeah, more stuff you wouldn't see in a regular Doctor Who. No, so. for sure, no. Um, um, no, I mean, everything from, like, just beginning with the shot of the point hovering right over her eye, you know, um, and for as, like, nasty and gross as it gets, that's, like, worse than anything else, is just, like, the thought of, it's, yeah. it's about to go in, you know, it's not even in yet, oh, yeah. it's just the anticipation of that. Um, yeah, and then the fake out of the hologram Mm -hmm. gym and all of that. Um, I mean, I'm kind of curious, like, why that's necessary. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I don't know that I totally understood the explanation. Well, did they even really give an explanation or just a mm-hmm. description of like, oh, it was the gym from the school and you weren't really there. It was a hologram. Right. Like, why is that necessary? I'm not entirely sure I understand it. Um, would Quill not have been have been like less willing if she knew that she was in the cabinet? I guess I it's know. something like that. Yeah, I don't know that we ever get a really good 
even it's even though that we're told there's like a better chance of her surviving if she's there like you had just said up front oh we're gonna put you in the cabinet because you have a better chance of surviving the surgery mm -hmm. um i feel like will's rational enough most for the most part to like be like okay well that's fine i guess mm -hmm. um she doesn't seem bothered by the fact that i mean there's the whole like grabbing the soul and sort of I don't know, being electrocuted by it or whatever. I'm not entirely sure what went on there. Yeah, um, and, like, it's kind of weird that, like, I forgot this part that, I mean, you're hinted earlier on that time passes differently, so you kind of have a sense that when she gets back, it's probably been longer for her than for when she was, you know, well, back home. Well, we got a hint of that at the end of the last episode, too, Yeah, right, so you already... a long time. You already know that, but what's surprising is that rather than have it be that they were on this quest for years or something, or even months, um, it seems like she grabs the soul and like in that moment time passes weirdly. Yeah. Like she grabs well, it and her hair grows. So it's like, were they actually only on the quest for 45 minutes and then she was grappling with the soul for like nine months or i don't know it's kind of weird or yeah however many yeah i don't know that i what's the gestation period of a quilt is it that's true months? yeah um no i i think that's right like i got the same sense as well that like it was the it's not just that like time passes weirdly and you can't predict it it's like well if you interact with the soul there's something going on there and i, I this is total headcanon but part of me also thinks too like that what's happening there is that the soul is taking her life mm. right right like you lose you lose that's time from do. your life yeah right like they take over the other souls mm -hmm. of you know the bodies of other beings and so if she reaches out and grabs it it's it's taking her life and had she held on long enough it would have just taken all of it and then maybe like maybe like that's how they get the body right is like they use up the life inside it and then take the body i don't know that's total guess on my part i don't actually know that makes sense to me i don't remember whether we ever get any more confirmation or yeah. whatever so i'm curious with one i'm curious myself left. to see like will that be addressed again in the in the next episode or not um right. with one episode left i wasn't holding out for that particular sure. answer necessarily um but i think it's it's a good headcanon um because yeah i mean just rewatching it i was sort of more expecting oh they're on this quest for a really long time um, but it's really not until that interaction with the soul that you get a sense of time, like really accelerating and passing. So it's just kind of. And we know it. I mean, there are no other events to lead us to believe that Quill got pregnant at any other time. Right. You know, so like we know it has to be between, you know, the hologram school and when she exits the cabinet. Mm -hmm. Like, not you know, some other length of time that could have passed yeah. that quickly. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't know that I have a ton to say more about in the cabin. I mean, it's uh, uh, there's like the betrayal of Dorothea mm-hmm. and like the fight, and I mean, you kind of hope that like they could reconcile, and I think that would have been a interesting twist if they could have done that but like also you don't really expect these two warriors to not fight right like the whole reason that they were lured into this situation is so that Mm -hmm. they would fight um right yeah yeah and the whole sort of crux of it is about them doing anything for you know to get their freedom back and um, so in order for that to kind of be true, they have to sort of follow through. Um, yeah. You know, it's just that, like you said, the thing is rigged against them. Um, so here's my question. Do you think that <clears throat> the gun was rigged to backfire on, like, whoever grabbed it? So, like... Whoever goes for the kill shot is the one that's doomed. Or is it like the thing was rigged against Balin in particular? Um, yeah. And he question. was always a goner. And it was just they didn't realize it until then. It's Quill's gun, right? Yes. I lose track of the guns. Are there two? To be honest, I lost a little bit of track of the guns during the fight. Because Dorothea gives them one. Right. And then the other one is quills that she's carrying. Is that what you're saying? Or is there only one? No, there's only one gun. Okay. That I'm aware of. But I'm asking, like, I think it's Quill's gun, though. Like, I think it's explicitly her gun. Right. Even though it's Dorothea that brings it out, mm-hmm. I don't. I don't think Quill has a gun on her because she can't use it mm-hmm. right until after she gets the thing. I I think Dorothea stole Quill's gun. I well, I mean, this was what I thought. I could be totally wrong about this. Yeah, I thought Dorothea stole Quill's gun because it looks exactly like the gun that Quill had, mm-hmm. and we've also seen it shooting backwards before like, like that was the whole thing with the shadow king is that like you had to like kill the shooter at the same time and like displace it so that like the shadow king would get displaced mm-hmm. um is that like the first episode even or, mm-hmm. or whatever yeah something um like so we've already seen it sort of shooting backwards so i i was thinking about that when it came i I don't know, like, I don't know enough about the gun. Like, is that a setting? Is there, like, a backward shooting setting? And if so, like, why? Like, would you ever do that? Is it is it a safety feature of, like... So there are guns today that have, like, fingerprint sensors on the grip and stuff so that only the owner can shoot it, right? And so, like, is it that kind of thing? Like, does the gun somehow sense who's shooting it? And so if it's anyone other than Quill, then it shoots backwards at the person. Um, or, you know, does it even sense if it's being pointed at Quill herself? And, right. and that could, Like, I could see that being a possibility. Or I could see it being like, yeah, maybe it's just a simple setting. And 
Dorothea put it on that setting. And maybe Quill would have noticed, because it's her gun, if she had seen it, that it's on the wrong setting. So maybe, like, by, you know, just sort of de facto fact of it being her gun, you know, Quill would have been safe. But, like, it's not necessarily Quill who said it that way, that Dorothy right. said it. And that's what's unusual about it, is that Quill seems surprised by what happened. Like, she doesn't... Sure. So that's what, I think, well, that supports, like, the idea that it's a setting that was switched on for that particular moment that she didn't yeah. necessarily anticipate would be. Um, Cause it seems like she seems distraught when Balin dies. Like she would have stopped him if she had realized that it was set to backfire. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Or maybe she still would have ended up killing him anyway, but like at least she's, taken by surprise by what happens in that moment and and if it is i mean i i tend to lean towards the dorothea rigged it theory so that seems that seems the simplest like if we're doing the gordian knot thing like Mm -hmm. it seems simplest to say there's a setting and dorothea rigged it and it's a double cross on top of a double cross right like the double the first double cross being you know I'm actually not giving you both what you want. You have to fight for it, and only one of you will get it. Um, of course, that's not even a sure thing, because like, there's no information about how to actually get out of the cabinet and capitalize on mm-hmm. you know, your freedom. But regarding that, um, that's the first double cross, and making them fight and all of that is part of that. The second double cross being that the person who actually is the winner but also the more cruel and right you know heartless right. to you know killing the other one right is going to is lose. actually the yeah. one who dies so you know read that as you will but that's that's sort of the progression of it mm-hmm. um yeah i i i guess i definitely lean towards the dorothea rigdon theory but I could see other theories there that maybe could be valid as well. Mm-hmm. Any other thoughts about that sort of like the in the cabinet stuff? I don't, I mean, she says the stuff to the souls. I don't know that it's that big of a deal. You know, the whole I am, I am war itself, you know, kind of thing is, or what does she say? What's the, yeah, yeah, that's the quote. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's fine. Some grandstanding at the end of the episode. Um, yep. Yep. No, I think it kind of just leaves us where we were, obviously, at the last one, kind of. Yeah. Um. Well, but slightly past it. Too, but slightly past it, of, it, yeah. And the end of the last one, we didn't know that she was pregnant. Right, so, right. Um, I mean, I mean... The obvious assumption being, of course, that it's uh, Balin. I mean, again, like, I, like, she says the last time, you know, she, last, the last thing she kissed was a robot, right? Like, mm-hmm. so. So we're yeah, pretty I mean, sure it's Balin's. 
there's no uh yeah there's no other apparent uh contenders at this point yep um, which is okay that's interesting so will the baby be human or a hybrid of two uh alien species or or what i guess we don't really know suppose we might find out um yeah well hey uh it's the last episode of class next time yeah uh that went fast Mm -hmm. i mean only eight episodes like we knew that going into it but yeah very interesting um yeah so i mean i assume we're gonna get a jasmine like birth at some point in this episode or maybe not i don't know Maybe they were planning to do that in season two. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I, for sure, the, the relative ratio of closure to cliffhanger, you know, is, you know, a thing we'll probably discuss at the end of this because it, it, you know, should have, you know, been kind of structured as somewhat standalone. But then also, I think the intention seemed to be that there would have been more of it if it had been a little more popular. So, um, yeah, we'll have to see exactly what, how much closure we get. I don't really want to give anything away. Sure. Fair enough. Um, yeah. All right. Well, we'll be back then with... Uh some more class and uh, another episode of Angel. Sounds good. See you then.